I never felt the sense of acceptance that I felt before that day, or, or at least very rarely. Here in that little room watching these porno movies with the champagne, I felt like I belonged. Hi, this is Shlomo Sosin, the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and specific strategies on how you as a teenage kid can overcome adversity in your life so you can make the impact you are put on this earth to do. If you haven't done so already, in the link in, there's a link in the description called the 52 Tips I Wish I Knew When I Was in High School. It's a 20-page free ebook. should take about 30 minutes to an hour to read. And in this, in this free ebook, I break down different t- topics, mental health, finances, relationships, school, career. Go ahead, check it out. It's probably going to change your life. I actually, I know it will change your life because if I can go back to high school, I would implement these 52 tips. If you have a friend, a classmate, or a family member that's in this funk, can't seem to get out of it, share the Teenage Impact Podcast out there because it's the best podcast out there for any teenage kid to listen to because we talk about daily mental health struggles that people go through and solutions for these mental health struggles. So go ahead, tell them to check out the Teenage Impact Podcast. Today's podcast guest is Ed Cressy. Ed is someone I met on LinkedIn. He lives in San Francisco, super cool dude. Right now, he helps other people with drug addiction. He goes and speaks in prisons and helps them write resumes, helps them get on the fee and helps them with the personal development journey. When he was younger, he had decades of drug addiction and the list of drugs kind of went on. He experimented with a lot of different hardcore drugs. At four, it started when he was 14, when he felt like he didn't fit in with people. It started with cigarettes and vodka. And as years went on, it moved on to some of the hardcore drugs. Eventually, he got in trouble with the law enforcement and went to jail. Soon enough, he went on the personal development journey, found himself, found his purpose. And now he's helping so many different people find theirs. He's also an author of a book that comes out in April 2020. It's called My Addiction and Recovery. So give it up for Ed Cressy as we talk about how you can overcome your drug addiction. I have Ed with me tuning in from San Francisco. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, good. Ed, you know, you, you mentioned that you went through this drug addiction. You, you were in and out of jail a little bit. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about your youth before all that happened. You grew up in a very small town, and let's let's hear about Ed when he was a teenager. Yeah, Shlomo, thanks uh, thanks so much. Uh, when I was a teenager, you know, life was pretty idyllic for me in many ways. Like you mentioned, I grew up in a small town, so when I was a little kid, it was perfect. You know, I had the woods right behind my home, and we had a big hill for sledding in the wintertime because it was Massachusetts, and it would snow a lot. Um, you know, we would catch frogs in the pond and uh, catch garden snakes out there, and my dad grew these incredible vegetable gardens, so he, he, taught, he taught me how to love nature and love plants and love life. All that was perfect until I turned, until uh, I got to be a teenager, and what I just found was that Whereas the things that suited me very well when I was a young kid, which were, which were a love of reading, a love of the imagination, a love of kind of escaping. You know, I love to escape into the world of books and the world of imagination. Uh, those things didn't serve me. 
when I turned 13 years old. Compounded was the fact that I was very uncoordinated, couldn't play sports or compete in gym class. I was a very sensitive kid. I used to cry very easily when the teacher would yell or when the bus driver would pull over when the school kids got too rowdy on the on the ride home and I just couldn't fit in I could not find a way to fit in uh, I, I wanted to be able to interact with the kids around me I wanted to be able to express myself I wanted to be able to fit in but I, I couldn't you know I just couldn't and the other kids yeah the kids were bullies the kids would, um, you know, the kids would put me down, make fun of me. They were, you know, looking back, they were being kids. That's what we do when we're kids. So I, I don't blame them. I, what I've learned is that it's, it's not going to help me to, uh, to blame people. You know, I used to cast a lot of blame on my parents and on the kids and the bullies and certainly on myself. Now, uh, years, years later, I look back and I've found ways to Take that experience I had when I was a teenager, which was very troubling in, in many ways. I hurt myself and I hurt a lot of people through my poor decisions to, like you mentioned, uh, use drugs to the point of hardcore drug addiction. But looking back, I've been able to turn my experience into a way of uh, gaining some small amount of wisdom. And it was wisdom that was passed along to me from others. But, you know, this, is, uh, this was the path my teenage years got me set upon. And what ways were you bullied? I was, you know, I was just, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I was very uncoordinated and unathletic. I had these weird uh, skin conditions, like uh, an eczema type of condition. I was just a weird kid, you know, certainly crying. And uh, I, I would tell, you know, I would try to make jokes and I would try to say things that the, the quote unquote cool kids were saying and do things that the cool kids were doing. I tried to listen to the music that everybody was listening to. You know, I tried to wear the right clothes. But whatever I did, I put my own little kind of individual slant on it. You know, so if the kids were wearing a certain kind of boot, all, all the kids were wearing certain boots, for example. I wore boots, but mine were a little bit different, you know, because I tried to be an individual. In adulthood and in life in general, that kind of stuff is good. You know, expressing ourselves as individuals, bringing our unique talents and our unique skills to the world around us. Where I went to school as a teenager, that did not suit me well. So these kids kind of bullied me. Uh, they called me names. They would uh, physically bully me. A little, not, not I wasn't physically bullied that much. And fortunately, uh, I didn't have social media because it was, you know, this was back in the 70s and early 80s. So we didn't really have that. So I wasn't bullied on social media. But the name calling, the ostracization, the uh, when the kids would have parties and not invite me, when there was when I would run for uh, for office in, in junior high and nobody would vote for me, when I just couldn't fit in, um, and I was pushed out of of the circles of kids that I wanted to be a part of, that was very hurtful to me. It was very hurtful. The anger at myself, the self hatred, the self loathing. These things I developed, naturally, I pushed them outward on the world. And I, I developed a lot of negativity towards the world around me, which I later found heavy drinking and heavy drug use was the way to tamp all of that down. And how did the heavy drinking and the heavy alcohol start? You know, I just, when I was 14 years old, I was at a wedding at my, at my aunt's house. 
I, I was out of my element. I was in New York City. You know, this never been, I don't think I'd ever been out of the small town. And here I was in Brooklyn, New York City. Uh, my cousin was 14 at the time, just this incredible worldly kid uh, who, who grew up in Brooklyn and just had everything. You know, he had like a swagger about him, like in a good way. He had, he had like a charisma. Um, and, and this kid, my cousin, my, my same age, but he was everything I was not. He took me aside during the wedding reception. He had somehow gotten a bottle of champagne. There were porno movies in his, uh, like in, he took me to his friend's apartment upstairs or downstairs from the wedding reception. So there were these porno movies, which I'd never seen anything like a porno movie. I'd never had anything like champagne. And most importantly, Shlomo, I never felt the sense of acceptance that I felt before that day, or, or at least very rarely. Here in that little room watching these porno movies with the champagne, I felt like I belonged. It's one of the first times I felt like, oh man, I'm, I'm part of the world around me. I'm part of my, or at least within my peer group. You know, because when I was a little kid in the woods and catching frogs and stuff, yeah, I fit in there. But, but that was just kind of me and my imagination and, and maybe my little sister, you know, outside my family unit. That wedding reception in Brooklyn, that was one of the first times I felt in. and I felt like I fit in and I made that real strong association between feelings of intoxication and feelings of fitting in. That's so powerful because we all know that when it comes to, it's not even peer pressure per se, because sometimes they don't have to pressure us. We ourselves, because I was bullied for about 15 years, and I went through the same thing uh, where it wasn't in high school, but it was in college where, you know, the parties started to happen and people started getting drunk. And, you know, I was, I felt like the only way I can fit in and hang out with my friends was to get drunk with them. We do a lot of things that's outside of who we are as a person because for the longest time we're getting bullied, being made fun of. And now all of a sudden this stuff happens where now you're getting into drugs and alcohol. And how, how did the drugs and alcohol affect you later on in life or years to come? Yeah. Well, you know, the, and one thing that should be said is that the, the thing, drugs and alcohol, they work. They absolutely work as a solution. You know, I, when I got drunk, when I was 14 years old, 15, 16, yeah, I could fit in all of a sudden my inhibitions were, were gone or at least lowered, I could, uh, I could have a girlfriend, I could uh, hang out with the popular kids. So the drinking and drugs work as a solution, but you know, the problem is when they fail, they fail catastrophically. And I kept needing more and more, you know, whereas when I was 16, I could get drunk on a little pint of vodka every night. And uh, you know, I was a heavy drinker at the time, but it, you know, I was drink, drinking a little vodka and running around the city, smoking cigarettes. Uh, but by that time, I had moved to San Francisco, so I was no longer in the small town. And you know, uh, but it kept needing more and more because I never addressed my deep-seated self-hatred. I never addressed the fact that I never, I didn't pursue my dreams. My entire life, I'd always dreamed about being a writer. I, I never did that. You know, drinking and later drugs became an easier path. So I, I never addressed finding who I was as a person. I never addressed, uh, you know, going after my dreams or bringing my best self to the world around me or finding spiritual pursuits or anything like that. So the, the 
the pint of vodka I was drinking every night turned into vodka and a joint, turned into uh, large quantities of, of beer and booze. Uh, as I got into college, it turned into cocaine, uh, ecstasy, uh, mushrooms and LSD when I could find them. And then finally, uh, in 1996, when I was no longer a teenager, I got addicted to methamphetamine. That just took me down a very uh, a terrible, terrible pathway. You know, they made me feel like I could fit in. They made me feel like I could belong. They gave me, uh, and, and I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, it was really a false sense of, of confidence. It was a false sense that I was contributing to the world. It was a false sense that I could be a part of something. You know, looking back, yeah, sure, I had the illusion when I was drinking and when I was taking drugs that I was getting to be a better person. But that's all it was. It was just an illusion. It's hard to see it when you're in it, as you probably probably are aware. When we're 15, 16, yeah. 17, whatever, it's hard to see beyond, you know, beyond our immediate world. But, you know, looking back, yeah, the, the drinking and the drugs, although they worked to some extent, it, it was all fake. It was all destined to fall apart as it eventually did. And despite the fact that I could fit in and, and become somewhat uh, self-confident when I was a teenager, it was in no way worth what I, the price I had to pay when I turned, uh, when I got into my late 20s and 30s and ended up addicted to meth. Funny that you say false sense of confidence. That's exactly what it is. And I remember in college when I went to these parties and I was uh, socially awkward, didn't know how to socialize. I would use alcohol as a way to socialize with people and I did a great job at it. But when I didn't have alcohol, I didn't have fun. Now when I, when I, I don't go to really that many parties. Now I go to networking events and when there is alcohol, I might have a drink maybe once in a while, but I don't need the alcohol to actually do it. There's this one networking event I went to and one of my employees, he said, wow, Shlomo, like you can just walk up to anybody without a, a beer or a drink. I said, yeah, it's just, it's just practice. It's honestly just practice. But before I wasn't like that. So I'm glad you said it, it was a false sense of, of confidence. Yeah, well, you're an inspiring individual. You're a, you're a young man. You're achieving success. And for you to realize these things at the point of your life where you are at, that's uh, an inspiring thing. How, how, how did it lead to your adult years when you got arrested? Yeah, well, I, I never found what, what you found. I, I never uh, understood that I could be a worthwhile person mm -hmm. without drugs, without drinking. So I was fortunate in some ways because society provided me a lot of unfair advantages. Uh, you know, let's face it, because of my skin color and because of my socioeconomic background, which was privileged. So society gave me these unfair advantages, and I never had to really face the consequences of my decisions. While I was breaking the law time and time again, starting from back when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, um, because of these unfair advantages, I never really had to pay the price like many people did. Point is, I was, I was breaking the law. I was engaged in criminal activities from age 16 on, uh, you know, being drunk, driving drunk, later getting into drugs, dealing drugs, doing a lot of drugs. Finally, it did catch up to me, as it usually does for, for people like me. I started having these interactions with the police. I, uh, the police would pull me over. They would come to my home and search my home. And finally, uh, I ran out of, I, I had, there was a point in my life where I had a lot of things 
I had a lot of money and I owned a home and I had a career at this company that was the, that, that went on to be the best company in America to work for, according to Fortune magazine. I had this big motorcycle and I drove a Jeep. I had all these things of a material nature, but going back to it, I still never got to the point of, of feeling like I was a worthwhile person. I never pursued my dream of being a writer. I was, I was still, it was fake. It was, it was an illusion. You know, eventually all those things went away. The home, the motorcycle, the career, my dog, uh, everything that meant something to me of a material nature was gone. I basically had no soul because I never pursued my dream. I never, um, I never developed confidence. I never found my true self. And the police interactions got more and more. Finally, I, I got arrested. I never thought it would happen. I always told myself, I'll never be a person who goes to jail. I'll never be a person who gets arrested. I'll never be put in handcuffs. All those things happened to me. Looking back, I could have clearly seen the path that I was on. But, you know, the police, uh, the police, I, I, I love the police. I don't love everything the police do. You know, I, I'm not giving a blanket endorsement for all things that are law enforcement. But out of all the help I received, some of the most meaningful have come from police officers and FBI people and, and people who work in, uh, in protecting others. Um, the point is, once I put drugs behind me and was shown a newer, better path, I was able to look back and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, the police, they unfairly, you know, they might have unfairly pulled me over or searched my home. But you know what? Had I never done drugs, no one would have ever arrested me. You know, no one would have pulled me over. No one would have come in. I wouldn't have gotten locked up in the psych ward. I wouldn't have gone to jail. Now, my situation is still, I, I understand it's different being a, a white male in this country. I'm still given unfair advantages. That's, that's not a right thing. It's not, it's not just and it's not fair about our society. The point is, uh, thanks to a lot of help, I'm able to look back upon those times I got arrested the time I was stripped naked by the sheriff's deputies and thrown in the padded cell, the time I was locked in the psych ward. I look back and I'm ready. I, I can accept my part in all that. I can accept had I never done drugs, those things in my situation would, would never have happened. So the point is, uh, looking back upon my arrests, looking back upon my interactions with the police and with the FBI, I'm very fortunate that people far wiser than me have taught me to look at what role I played in it, change myself, and uh, get rid of those illusions so that I can become a better person, bring something of value to the world around me in some small way. And, uh, and now I've solved those problems that I never addressed starting when I was 13, 14, whatever, drinking and getting into drugs. Now, what would you have done differently when you were in high school? Well, I would, you know, my parents, uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, I had an incredible amount of books in the home. I had musical instruments uh, that I could play. I did all, you know, the one thing I did right was uh, my, my father taught me to read when I was, uh, when I was very young and my parents encouraged me to read. So, so that was one thing I did do right. But to answer your question, I would have applied myself to, uh, to self-improvement. I, I would have taken my, I would have stuck with my guitar lessons, with my music lessons. I would have become a writer. I would have done more writing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it's, it's hard to ignore the other kids when, when you're that age, when you're 13, 14, when you're a teenager, it's hard, but I, I would have found a way to do it. I would have applied myself to, uh, to sports and to athletics. I certainly wouldn't have quit. I always quit a lot of things when I was a kid. 
I wouldn't have allowed myself to take the easy paths, which I did. The easy paths were drinking, smoking cigarettes, and then getting into drugs. I, I don't think it matters so much what a person does in, in terms of how she or he improves yourself. You know, for, for any of us, we all, have, uh, we all have our true self. We all have a soul or a spirit within us, and it expresses our soul expresses itself differently. It could be through writing, it could be through music, it could be through sports, it could be through math, it could be through politics, any number of things. But what it's usually not is expressing itself through drugs or uh, video games, if those video games are an addictive behavior, or gambling, or you know, unhealthy relationships. Anything we do is an addictive behavior. It usually gets in the way of us expressing our true selves. So to answer your question, I would have really explored what is my true self, what uh, what brings what makes me feel like a valuable person. Truly, you know, it, it, drinking a few beers and smoking cigarettes and putting my arm around a girl, uh, you know, yeah, this that that made me feel like a worthwhile person at some level. But I, I would go back and I would say, you know, what's really going to make me feel worthwhile, and it would have been being an artist or being a writer or. Uh, or, you know, having uh, meaningful intellectual pursuits. Uh, they're hard things to see when you're 16 or 17, but if I could go back, those are absolutely the things I would do. And you have a book coming out, correct? Yeah. And in the subtitle of the book, it says, you might, uh, my addiction recovery, you might be done with drugs, but drugs are not done with you. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Yeah, when I quit meth in 2007, uh, I, I had been in psychosis for a while. So what that means is I used to hear these disembodied voices and believe that the FBI was after me and that my family and friends were uh, having these conspiracies. I used to believe that uh, I, I, I had inadvertently befriended a 9-11 hijacker, right? Or, or so I believed. I, I used to do a lot of kickboxing. And I went to Bangkok and I met this guy. And because I was smoking so much meth, I later came to believe that this, this friend of mine in, in Bangkok, Thailand, had been one of the 9-11 hijackers. And I got really wrapped up in this incredible uh, conspiracy I thought was going on around me. I, I was way out there on meth. I was ripping apart my electronics, looking for cameras and microphones and punching holes in the walls of my apartment to look for you know, hidden surveillance devices. All this because I started on a path of drinking beer and smoking dope back when I was 16 in, in, instead of pursuing my true dreams. And that led me to that, that meth psychosis. Uh, the point is, when I quit meth, I, the, the, the mental health challenges didn't go away. Not, they got a lot better, but I felt a lot of, uh, I was suicidal. Basically, I had suicidal depression I needed to deal with. I was obsessed over food. I was obsessed over uh, exercise. I had a lot of social anxiety. I uh, had a lot of fear. I was still very afraid of the FBI. Even after I quit meth, you know, for years, I still had this paranoia. This I used to. I would still hear disembodied voices. I would still see people or you know satellites of things following me. I had to grapple with a lot of that. I had to overcome a lot of fear. I had to overcome an incredible amount of mental health challenges. What I learned is that many, many people in this life have overcome challenges at least as difficult as mine, if not much more so. You know, one of my true heroes is uh, Nelson Mandela, right? He spent almost three decades in prison. I look at someone like him, 
he overcame challenges that, that I can't, that, that, you know, my, mine don't even compare to the challenges he overcame. Yet he, he rose to lead, uh, to lead a country and to lead a, uh, not only himself out of a terrible situation, but to lead a whole uh, nation out of, their, out, of, uh, out of very desperate circumstances. So I was able to see that, although, yeah, I had mental health challenges, I suffered uh, or grappled with an ongoing form of schizophrenia and these obsessions. Yeah, all that's true. But many people have overcome far worse. When I started looking to those people and I began to understand that a path of spirituality, a path of self-improvement, a path of being of service to others, when I adopted that path, instead of the path of drinking and drugs and getting high and only caring about, uh, you know, my motorcycles and cars uh, and, and, my, and the material things, that brought me out of not just the drug addiction, but the very challenging mental health circumstances following my addiction. So you got into personal development. So tell us about your personal development journey and your road to recovery. I st- somebody taught me meditation, and I began to meditate every day. It's awesome. I st- I've been doing it for 12 years. I still have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I'm still <laughs> they, say, uh, they, they say that uh, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind are few. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard that quote, but uh, Never that's, heard of it. Yeah, I, I like that. And, uh, you know, there's a quote, it's attributed to the Buddha, but I, I'm not sure if it's really the, the Buddha or for someone else, but he says, uh, it's better to overcome, uh, it's better to conquer oneself than to win a thousand battles. You know, so I apply that. And, and instead of going out there and trying to win these battles in life, I, I try to conquer myself. And I try to, and I direct my thoughts to love, to gratitude, instead of towards, you know, fear and what I can get and what I don't have. The spiritual path, you know, I think, I think anything that we do that's not of a material nature, we can qualify it as spiritual. Could be faith-based. It could be, uh, it could be practicing gratitude. It could be service to others. It could be any number of things. But I, I found that for me, by pursuing the spiritual, the self-improvement, the, the non-material things, that helped me overcome the true problem. And again, the true problem is when I was 13 years old, when I was 14, I just couldn't fit into the world around me. I mean, there was no, the world around me was like this, this terrible creature that I, this, these uh, unfamiliar circumstances I couldn't be a part of when I was 13. And I was able to overcome that with drugs. Again, uh, it all being an illusion. When I found spirituality, self-improvement, and being of service to others, then I found a true solution, and I can be a, an effective part of the world around me. So you go into diff- you have different speaking engagements. Where do you speak at? I do a lot of uh, every week. I go into uh, into jail, into a women's unit of San Francisco County Jail, and we bring a Toastmasters meeting there. Which, if I you're those who are are you, okay, so you're familiar with it? It's a yeah. great organization. For, for those who haven't heard of it, Toastmasters is uh, it's an international, uh, I think it's a nonprofit, and they do uh, public speaking and leadership. It's a great, fantastic community. If you're ever looking to improve your communication, if you're looking to meet great people who are all about improving themselves uh, and helping others improve themselves too, Toastmasters is one amazing organization. Uh, it's worth checking out. 
So every Thursday, uh, I and some colleagues go into a women's unit of San Francisco County Jail and bring them a Toastmaster-style meeting to help them advocate for themselves and improve their communication. I also uh, I, I volunteer in uh, maximum security prisons here in California. I'll do some speaking there, but mostly I'm coaching the men on how to, uh, how to start businesses and how to get jobs. And these are men who, in these prisons, society considers them among the worst of the worst, right? This is the label that's been put upon these men. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is how society, and these, these are men, by their own admission, who have, uh, so all of them have been convicted of violent crimes, murder in many cases. All of these men are almost all, by their own admission, are gang affiliated. You know, these guys uh, have been in the Crips, the Bloods, the Nazi Lowriders, the Nortenos, the Aryan Brotherhood, whatever. But I'll tell you, these guys, after spending time working closely with them, feeling their incredible spirit, their, their beautiful souls, the heart they have, their dedication and perseverance and determination to turning their lives around and making a better world for themselves and their families and their communities. I know, or I deeply believe, that these guys, even though they're in even though they're in high security, in maximum security prisons, and have been in gangs and, and convicted of violent crimes, had these guys been given the same opportunities I had in life, they would have turned out fine. You know, they, they would have turned out fine. Um, it, it's maybe an obvious thing to say, but to me, it really shines a light on what we need to change about our society. Where someone like me, because I was born with white skin and, and socioeconomic privileges the unfair advantages that were conveyed upon me, you know, I still went into a road of methamphetamine addiction and training my communities. Um, it's, you know, society needs to bestow the same advantages on other people because the, these are people who right now are in prison who would otherwise be out contributing to society. You know, I was always on a path. Society always put me on a path of college education, home ownership, biotech career, motorcycle owning, whatever. That was always my path. No matter how many drugs I smoked or, or uh, stupid things I did, that was always the path society pushed me along. My mistakes, the consequences were diminished. I had a safety net. Other people who made the same mistakes I made when I was 16, who got into drinking or, or, or committing crimes, they didn't have those safety nets. And society had them on different pathways. So as hard as it was for me to get off my pathway into places like jail and uh, an addiction, it's just as hard, if not harder, for others to get off their pathways into places like higher education and business ownership. And so you help them in that aspect, but how do you how do you approach it? How do you lift their hopes up and lift their confidence up? Oh yeah, so uh, you know I'm part of wonderful organizations that have uh, curriculums that the curriculums help with uh, employment. It can be from, you know, building a resume and uh, interview skills. It can be entrepreneurism, uh, developing business plans and business pitches. I think at the heart of your question is, I have learned to really care about these men. I have been taught to look past the uniforms they wear, which are prison blues. I have been taught to look past the, the things that they've done to the people who they are. And it's, uh, you know, thoughts have incredible power. And when, when we love our fellow human beings, when we forgive them, when we forgive ourselves, we can create these strong bonds. And when, when we can see another person as a human being, 
despite the uniform he wears or she wears, despite the, the mistakes he or she has made, we can make these strong connections uh, and all the rest of it, the employment, the entrepreneurism, that stuff's great, but that really just creates a common language. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that heart. It's that spiritual connection. It's, it's understanding that, you know, we're, we're all human beings and forgiveness and compassion and these things. When we practice them, we can bring some great things to the world around us. We can certainly bring some beautiful things to our own lives. And you also mentioned that you got over the, your drug addiction and paranoia through personal development and spirituality and meditating. Now, what techniques would you recommend other people? I would recommend a technique of constant exploration, of constant searching, of talking to as many people as you can, of learning from uh, from the the Zen, uh, the Zen guys, the the Buddhists, the the Christians, the Muslims, the uh, the, the Jews, the, my fellow Jews, I, I should say, I'm Jewish as well. <laughs> oh, cool. All right, all right, great. Um, I would say, and you know, the organized religion is 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 awesome. I, I you know, I'm a member of a faith based community myself, but it's by no means the only or certainly not even the best way of spiritual pursuit. You know, as many human beings as there are in the world today, there are that many forms of spiritual pursuit. So I, I would say, you know, just focus on the spirituality, learn as much as you can. When you think you have it right, when you think you, that you know and that you have it dialed in, that's probably the time to, to, to really start searching more and expanding your knowledge mm -hmm. because uh, that's, that can, the, the danger is getting to a point of complacency. Um, I know for me, when I find myself becoming judgmental of others, like, oh, you know, that person's not spiritual enough or that person's practice isn't deep enough or this is when I start having these thoughts. Now I know, oh, I got to change myself. You know, I, I got to increase my own knowledge. I got to look to the wisdom of others to, to help me. Um, it's all about a path. There's a guy, uh, Proust. Uh, he, he's got a great quote. Uh, he says that it's not about... Um, it's not about seeing new destinations. It's about getting new eyes, right? Mm -hmm. So I got to change my eyes. I got to, I got to change me. And for your, for your audience, I would say, yeah, always keep searching. There's always more to learn. There's always uh, other people. There's the, the guy who's, uh, you know, the man or the woman who's a leader of a faith-based organization. There's the person uh, on the corner who, uh, who doesn't have two dimes to rub together for something to eat, you know, you can, we, we can learn from everybody out there. We can learn something. Um, always be in a state of constant learning, constant practice. Don't let anybody else tell you what you need to do. You know, if there is such a thing as a God, I believe there is. But, you know, if there's such a thing as a universe or a great spirit or, or something like a higher power, as I believe there is, that entity doesn't, that entity is within us. That entity doesn't make hard terms with those of us who seek her or seek him, or seek it, whatever the word is. So just always be seeking, you know, always be practicing, and all, never forget that you have what you need inside you already. Just a matter of bringing it out. We all know getting over drugs is not easy, especially if you've been doing it for years or even a decade. You go on this personal development path, and you start searching inside of you, and, and you try to give it up. Maybe you give it up for six months, and then you have some type of relapse, and you go back on it again. You get addicted to drugs again. Now, what would you tell those people who is trying but can't seem to get over that one hump? Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, we, we use the term recovery. 
which means, you know, we're clean off drugs and we're improving our lives. Recovery is not for those who want it. It's not even for those who need it. Recovery is for people who are willing to do the work. So it's not easy. There's no magic formula. There's nothing that I've ever found that's going to be fun and easy. You know, if, if you got to a point of being an addict like me, uh, there's not going to be any fun, easy, soft way to go about it. What I would consider when you need the strength, as you will need it, when the times get tough, as they will get, uh, when you've got to push yourself harder than you've ever pushed yourself, which you will need to do, you can remember this little story. It's about a person walking through the woods who happens upon a caterpillar. Mm-hmm. But the caterpillar is in a cocoon, right? So the person's looking and the caterpillar starts to emerge from the cocoon. And it's struggling, man. This kid, and by now it's a butterfly, but this, this butterfly is fighting. It's, it, it keeps trying to burst free from this cocoon and it can't do it. It can't do it. So the person in the woods pulls out a knife and starts to cut the cocoon thinking it's going to help the butterfly. Now the person is well-intentioned, but really this hurts the butterfly because it's the struggle to get free from that cocoon that gives the butterfly's wings the strength to fly. So you, when you're relapsing or when you're struggling in recovery or you can't figure the path, you're like that butterfly. You know, it's a struggle right now. Your struggle is real. Your, your struggle is absolutely, it's, it's as challenging as mine. It's more challenging, whatever. Your struggle is real, but you're like that butterfly. And the, the struggle has a purpose. Your addiction has a purpose. Your, uh, your search for spirituality is very meaningful. You know, we have to struggle. Just always remember there's a beautiful, beautiful life on the other side. I've lived it. Many, many others have lived it. You will live it too. Now, for those people who... who think they don't need help, they're addicted, they think they don't need help, but you have, for example, if I have a friend who's addicted, and, but he or she says, hey, I, I don't have a problem, how can that friend help that person? I don't, well, I don't know that you can. I, I think, well, you, you know, what, what, here's what you can do. The, when, when we're struggling with addiction, the people whose advice we take are the people who we want to be like. All right. So what you can do, what I feel you can best do to help someone like your friend, what you can do to help your loved one or someone who's struggling is become a person who others want to be like. And usually that means we're dedicated to improving ourselves. Usually that means we're dedicated to making our lives better and the world around us better in some kind of uh, in some kind of spiritual way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I were to come to you and say, you know what? My, my life's a mess. My life is, is in ruins. I'm, I'm always worried. I, I can't sleep at night. But hey, let me give you some advice. You're not going to listen to my advice, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to be like me. But if I were to say to you, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm improving every day. I'm contributing to the world. The world's given back to me. I'm able to better my communities. Hey, if you want some advice, I'm here for you. Now I'm much more likely in your mind to be someone who can offer you something that you want. And, and that's the best way I've found to help an addicted person. Uh, be someone who the person wants to be like, you know, be improving yourself. Because we as addicts, we want to improve. Our, we know we have to improve. We know there's something wrong with our lives. There's no question in our mind. We're not skipping around saying what things. We know that we're hurting ourselves. We hate ourselves. 
whether consciously, unconsciously, we, we know our lives are wrong. But we need to look to you as having a quote unquote right life. And you know, if you have cars, or if you have money, or if you have uh, things, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But we as addicted people, we, we don't really respect that. What we're looking for is happiness. Mm-hmm. We're looking for self-worth. We're looking for confidence. We're looking for a person who's improving herself or improves, improving himself. If you can be that person, we are more likely to follow your advice. And your advice is probably going to include uh, getting some kind of treatment, leaving drugs behind, improving ourselves that way. Mm-hmm. And do you have any last, last tips for high schoolers who can't seem to be in the right direction that's self-conscious of what people think they might be getting bullied they're trying to fit in any last tips for them you're a beautiful person you're an incredible spirit you you were put on this earth uh, for for a good reason no matter what anybody might say no matter what your surroundings might be it's all for a reason it doesn't matter what you do or have done you are a wonderful incredible beautiful person never forget that and then keep improving yourself. And in, in a short time, you will find that as challenging as your circumstances are now, they, they are challenging, but you will find that it really doesn't matter when you compare it to the incredible, wonderful, blissful life that you are going to have very soon. Never I forget love, that. I love it. Thank you, Ed. And where can people find you? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, go to my website. It's very easy. Uh, www.edkres sy.com just click there's a button in the lower right that says download pdf just click that button put in your email address and you'll get uh you'll get stuff from me and uh, i'll take care of things from there you get uh insights on recovery criminal justice reform you can get uh, information about my book you get my email if you ever want to reach out just email me Uh, i think i have my phone number there you can text me or call me you know i'm here for you many wonderful people help me i'm here to help you Man, truly inspirational, Ed, man. You've, I feel like you've came, overcame all odds to get to the point where, where you are now. And based off a lot of the interviews I have done, people's road to recovery and whatever struggle they have gone through is based off of some type of personal development journey and helping others. And you're doing exactly that. Awesome. So many people have helped me, you being one of them. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care, my man. You too. I'm starting to see a trend with these interviews. And what the trend is, is we have our struggles in life. We get to a point where we can't take it. Enough is enough. And when we feel like enough is enough, there's more to come. There's more troubles. But as soon as we start our personal development journey, meaning meditating, reading, uh, spending time by ourselves and actually listening to ourselves and listening on who we should become as a person and pursuing our passion is when our road to recovery starts. At 14, 15, 16 years old, Ed wanted to become a writer. He wanted to do that. And he stopped it because he wanted to fit in with the crowds. He got into drugs. He got into alcohol. And that's when it stopped. But just imagine if Ed actually listened to himself and pursued writing at a young age. Don't you think his life would be a little bit differently? Now, we can't go back and change things. And things are the way they are right now because they happen for a reason, yes. But if you do have time to change, if you, ha- if you think that you're starting to get addicted to drugs, 
just know this, that it's not going to be easy, but the road to recovery will be easier if you make a decision and put in the work. You know, Ed had decades long of drug addiction and recovery. As soon as he decided, I am going to change, and as soon as he started to listen to himself and being more in tune with spirituality, that's when his road to recovery became easier. Man, I don't, I'm not telling you to believe in God and get into spirituality if you're not into it, but what you should do is start deciding to grow yourself somehow and some way. Start talking to different people. Start reading. Start searching on. Start searching for different community groups on people who have overcame drug addiction. Because as soon as you surround yourself with those right people, read books, do your own research, really spend time yourself and listen to yourself and pursue your passion and purpose, that's when the road to recovery for drug addiction becomes easier. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't done so already, please click on the link in the description to download the 52 tips. I wish I knew I was in high school. It was a quick 30-minute read. And until next time, peace.